We're in Romans chapter 8 today, and I want to read you just a part of it from the message. Paul says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could have never done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, a living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking about their self more than God. And that person who ignores who God is and what he is doing. And God isn't pleased with being ignored. Here's the good news right here. But if God himself has taken up resonance in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who's not welcome to this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's term. It stands to reason then, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are places to go and things to do. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, father and children, and we know that we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. And if we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with him. That's just the first half. That's not, I didn't even get to the part about um, God works together for the good, all that love the Lord, and the part about uh, the hope of the resurrection, and the part about nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I thought one thing as I, I started writing this week's sermon 
and sat down and started working through Romans chapter 8. And the question that kept coming to my mind was, whose idea was it to fit all of Romans chapter 8 in one Sunday? Like, who thought it would have been a good idea in this preaching schedule to try to tackle all of Romans 8 in a single message? And uh, I, I was really tempted to not do that. I was really tempted to go like, this is like a three or four part series. I, I think I could spend about a month on Romans chapter 8. But then we'd, we'd still be in Romans come next summer. So uh, I'm, I'm going to stick to my schedule. I'm gonna, we're going to tackle all of Romans 8 in one Sunday. But it's kind of like the dessert table at Thanksgiving, okay? No, you can't choose just one dessert at Thanksgiving, right? Nobody chooses one dessert at Thanksgiving. Everybody does the sampler platter at Thanksgiving because there's so much good dessert that it's impossible to come up with just one thing and talk about that one thing. So uh, today's message is the, the sampler platter from uh, the Thanksgiving dessert table. I'm just going to, I'm going to try to tackle everything in Romans chapter 8. And um, because there's so, so much good stuff in here. Um, Douglas Moo, a commentator, probably one of the most famous commentators on Romans, he describes it with a different analogy. He says that Romans 8 is the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of the Christian faith. In other words, it's a pretty important chapter. And he explains why it's important. Andy, could you put that up for me real quick? He explains why it's important. He said, Romans 8 sets before us some of the most wonderful blessings we enjoy as believers. Being free from God's condemnation, indwelt by God's own spirit, adopted into his family, destined for resurrection and glory, and full of hope because of God's love for us and because of his promise to bring good to us in every circumstance of life. Those are the promises of Romans 8, and that's, that's a pretty impressive list of promises. That's why I'm saying there's no way to tackle all this in one message, but that's a pretty impressive list of promises that God gives us in Romans 8. The question I have is, do we believe it? Like, do, do we really, do, do we believe that that, like, when you think of, of Christian, I'm talking about we, us, all, you know, most of us are, are believers in this room. Most of us that are watching online are believers. Do we really believe that? Are Christians the people who believe that they are free from God's condemnation? And Christians believe that they are indwelt with God's own spirit. And Christians believe that they are adopted into his family. Christians believe that they are destined for resurrection. The Christians are the people who are full of hope and full of love and full of goodness because they know God is at work in their lives. And I think the answer to the question is sometimes. <laughs> you know, like uh, on a good day, yes. Uh, on a Sunday, maybe after you just had this great time of worship, oh, absolutely, I believe that. Um, a good week, yeah. Sometimes. But sometimes it feels like all I get is condemnation. And sometimes it feels like I don't belong to any family or anywhere. And sometimes it feels like God's not anywhere to be found. And he's not near, he's far. And, and sometimes it feels like there's no goodness or love or mercy that, that I can find anywhere. I think that the sad reality is if you, that, that list, um, sometimes we receive the opposite. You know, those are God's promises in Romans chapter 8, but some, sometimes in church we receive the opposite of those things. Like church is the place that we receive condemnation, even though the Bible clearly says we're free from condemnation. And church is the place that we, we receive confusion about the Holy Spirit rather than certainty about the Holy Spirit. And it's the place that we, we, we maybe don't find hope and don't find love and don't find goodness. 
And if that's happened to you, if you've experienced that, um, I want to make very clear that that's because, not because God's promises failed, it's because God's people failed. I think a lot of times we have a big problem with God, not because God's promises failed us, but God's people failed us. And God's people will fail us. And institutions will fail us because they're made up of sinful human people. But God's promises don't fail us. So what I want to do through the sampler platter here, I just want to read you God's promises. That's all, this message right here is real simple. I want to read you God's promises. I want you to see them at work in the lives of somebody and, uh, and, and we're done. So I want to, if you got a Bible, open it up to Romans. Because I want to read quite a bit. And, and Andy's just going to have to keep up with me here. But uh, Warren Worsby, another commentator, describes this chapter as like the Declaration of Freedom for Christians. He said this is the Declaration of Freedom. And he mentions four freedoms specifically. That first one was up on the screen just a minute ago. Freedom from judgment. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 in the NIV says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that means we are free from judgment there is no you understand that there's no condemnation and the reason is right there in in uh, verse 2 because through Jesus Christ the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. It doesn't matter what you think about you. Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin. And therefore there's no condemnation. Later at the end of the chapter, verse 34, he puts it really simple. And I love this question right there. He says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one condemns. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. So not only does he say that you are not condemned, but he says Jesus Christ is actually interceding for you now. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So we are free from judgment. The second thing is we're free from defeat. Now Paul uh, talks about what defeat looks like in verses 5, 6, and 7. In, in 5 he says uh, defeat is that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. But then he says in verse 9, look at this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. He he tells you, like, here's all these terrible things that that happens when you're in the realm of the flesh. But you are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. He says, verse 10, if Christ is in you, then... Even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul puts a great emphasis on the fact that God's spirit lives in us, and and he puts a great emphasis on the fact that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And that's huge. And I don't even even think we, we... we catch that. Right? When I, the church that I grew up in, when we baptized somebody, we always said, um, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of the Holy Spirit. That comes from Acts 2.38. And the great emphasis that we placed on that passage was for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism was for the forgiveness of sins, and it, it certainly is. 
But I think we missed that second part of the verse. It said that what also comes with baptism is not just the forgiveness of sins, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Like when you're baptized, when you become a Christian, God sets up residence in your life. And that's why we're free from defeat, because the same God who rose Jesus from the dead is now living. His spirit is alive in our lives. And so we're free from defeat. The third one is freedom from fear. Verse 15 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I love the way... um, Peterson puts it in the message like, we're going to get what's coming to us. And it's almost a setup because we've been taught all our life, we're going to get what's coming to us. And like, oh man, we're going to get judgment and we're going to get defeat and we're going to get condemnation. He says, what's coming to us is a glorious inheritance. That's what we're going to get. And we're going to get that not because we're good, but we're going to get that because Jesus is good. And Jesus has, God has adopted us into his family. We've, we are, he is our father. We are his children. And as his children were co-heirs with Christ. I mean, it's just incredible. We're co-heirs with Christ. And so we're free from fear. We have nothing to fear because we have a God who is advocating for us. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who brings us into his family. And we have a God, if you look at Romans eight twenty eight, we have a God that's working all things together for our good. Now, that doesn't mean that, that nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. I mean, in the, in the very chapter where he says God works all things together for our good, he talks about our present sufferings and our frustrations. So he acknowledges that life is difficult, and he acknowledges that, that things are not always going to go our way. But when it says God works to, all things together for our good, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect, and we're never going to have any struggles, and we're never going to have any hardship. It just means that God is for us. God is not against us. God is for us. So when bad things happen, that's not because it was God's wrath. That's not because it was God's punishment. That's not because God was out to get us. I even struggle sometimes with saying that was God's will. When terrible things happen, people go, well, it was just God's will. Was it? I don't know that it was because we live in this sinful world and we are impacted by sin and we are impacted by the choices of others. And I don't know that it always is God's will that something bad happened. But it says it promises us that God is always working together for the good he's always working together for the good so we don't have to be fearful of anything because we believe God is for us not against us and then the last one is freedom from despair and I'm just going to read you the end of the the chapter I'm going to read this one out of the message it's going to be on the screen in the NIV but I just want to read this out of the message if I can find it there's no verses in the message Um, so what do you think This is freedom from despair. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who raised to life for us in the presence is in the presence of God in this very moment sticking up for us don't you think that anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us because there is no way 
Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. And I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. That's Scripture. I mean, that's, not, that's not my opinion. That's scripture. I mean, that's, I, real quick. <laughs> in all these things, listen to this. This is from the NIV version. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't wrap our minds around how much God loves us. If we do, and if we can, it gives us hope. That's what gives us hope, is when we're able to wrap our minds around just how much God loves us. And that's the promises in Romans chapter 8. And, and I went through them fast, because I want you to see a story of what that looks like to move from from judgment to, to, to being free from condemnation or to move from defeat to victory or to move from despair to hope? What does it look like to move from despair to hope? Because sin can get us in some really, really tough places. And sin leaves a, a path of destruction in its wake. I mean, sin does terrible things to our relationships and our lives, our physical health, our emotional health, our spiritual health. Sin leaves a terrible path of destruction. But there's hope. Because God loves us. There's hope because God is for us and he's working for us always. There's hope. And he talks about hope. That's the theme of Advent today is hope. And he talks about it uh, in Romans chapter 8 that we wait patiently for the good. Even when we can't see the good, even when we don't understand how God's working, even when we don't see how anything good could come out of this situation, we wait patiently for the good because we believe that God is working. So I want to I show you a testimony and uh, this is a testimony of what's well, two people. I don't know. One of them I met about seven months ago. Josh, uh, I had the opportunity to meet about seven months ago in Hornwald. And uh, Casey, I don't know. But I want you to watch their story because it's a story of kind of hope in action. And you see some of these incredible promises from Romans 8 being played out in, uh, in their freedom from sin. Getting free from sin and, and finding a, a life in Christ. So... This is a pretty long one, so I'm going to sit down and watch it with you. It's, it's 10, 12 minutes, so, but I want you to watch this story right here. Andy. Ever since I was little, I had a void that I felt like in my life, and I never knew what it was. Try to fill it with men, try to fill it with drugs, alcohol, everything. Never could fill that void. The first time that I can remember feeling different um, was at the dentist office, and they put the mask on my face, and it felt good. Um, so I was going back, and I was telling some of the, the neighborhood kids that, that had influence over me and were older than me, and they told me, well, if you love that, you'll love having gas. So um, I followed them. 
and started huffing gas at nine years old. We, we would ride four-wheelers and go back in the woods and we would crack our gas tanks and we would huff gas and go on about our business. Um, we started using spray paint at a really early age. Um, that's where you spray it in a bag and you huff it until you just about pass out. As soon as I drank the first time, I knew it was something that the way I like to feel, I loved it. I drank for many years. My senior year, we went to Florida and uh, for spring for spring trip, like so many people do, and got wrapped up into um, designer drugs. Got wrapped up into ecstasy, was introduced to that while in, uh, in Florida. And, and that spiraled, that took on a life of its own for, for quite a while. Met a guy and I thought, this is gonna fix me. This is going to uh, make life what it's supposed to be. This is my answer, this is what I need. I need to be loved. And it filled the void for a little while, just like any other temporary, temporary thing. Then 9-11 happened um, and I joined the military. The unit and the leadership that I was under, we weren't encouraged to talk to anybody about what we've seen, because you're menly men. You did what you had to do for your country. You don't need to talk to a chaplain. You don't need to talk to a counselor. So I brought back a lot of emotions, and I brought back a lot of pain. Of course, the, the temporary void becomes unfilled again. So I look to, uh, let's have a baby. Let's try to have a baby. I thought that would fill it. I was unsuccessful in that, um, so I just became a really miserable person. I decided, you know what, if I had a little baby, that, that right there would change my life. My baby's mother, she, she breastfed the baby and she was clean and she did good. And then she really went off track. And I just got immersed into the world of selling drugs and doing drugs. I eventually got into meth. If, if I thought that pain pills stole my soul, meth really did. I was on meth for, for maybe Week, maybe four or five days. I was also growing into using uh, Xanax. So at some point, the meth wore off and the Xanax kicked in and I'm just flat out on the floor. Peel bottles all around me. The room looks ransacked where I was in a methamphetamine rage and my daughter standing beside me. And man, I think back at that and I think, ah, you know, what a, what a jerk. Me and my mom would have, um, we would have um, fights. I would throw stuff at her. Um, she would have to, you know, call the cops. It just, um, I would get, I had so much rage inside me. It was, it was crazy. Um, just from the drugs. The drugs made me somebody that I was not. I hated life. I hated everything about me. I hated everything about my family. And miserable doesn't even begin to explain it. I would just lay in the bed. So one of the lowest points was um, actually stealing $20 out of my granny's wallet. I knew it was wrong. Here's this woman. She, she lost my granddad. She was on a fixed income, medicine, stuff, barely making ends meet. 
And here I was taking money out of her purse to support my habit. Uh, she had cough medicine um, that she had gotten from the doctor because she was sick. And I drank all the cough medicine and left my sick mother with nothing. And she had back surgery and she had pain medicine. She had it in her purse and I would steal every single pill she had and leave my own mother to her. As long as I was high, that's all I cared about. The the price for for this ice that was coming over, which is a slang word for methamphetamines, was dirt cheap, and, and we were getting quite a bit of it and selling quite a bit of it. And the DEA um, they took and started investigating us for that. And I'm thinking in my head, Casey, this isn't you. What are you doing? What are you doing? I went to jail. Um, and at that point, I didn't see, I got arrested at the dollar store. And my uncle stood outside the dollar store with me standing there. And mind you, my face looked like, um, it was, yeah, I had sores all over my face. It was terrible. And my uncle stood there and he said, Casey, I'll take you to treatment anywhere you want to go. And I'll pay for it if you'll just go. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. I come out, I had 14 months of clean time, and the first thing I do was get high after we spent thousands of dollars on bonds. And two weeks later, I'm back in jail, back in jail on Christmas again, back in jail on another holiday without my, my kid, without my family. And, um, you know, it was at that point where I realized I don't care what it costs, there's nothing worth the seeking. I knew things had to change. I went to the Hope Center uh, on December 23rd, and that was two days before Christmas. Um, and it was so hard being there and not being able to spend time with my family. Because um, it's bad when reality kicks in and you're somewhere where you can't be with the people you love the most. Even though you didn't, um, you didn't treat them like you loved them the most because you love drugs the most. Um, when you're in addiction, you love drugs the most. Before the Hope Center, I was just reckless, um, self-conceited, self-concerned, not willing to put anybody, anybody else before my own needs walked in and everybody's hugging you, loving on you um, and I was a miserable person. I didn't want anybody to touch me. I didn't want, I, I was not ready to change and I always say that I'm proof that God can work on the hearts of unready people just like he can the people that are ready. It, it took a while. It took 30 days so so I hardly even remember my um, what my sobriety date is. But the date I do remember is February 22nd, and that's the day I give my life to God. And that, that's the day that, that stands out to me more than anything. I said, God, I know that I've had you in my heart since I was a kid, but I haven't been following your will for my life, but I'm ready. I'm finally ready to surrender and give my life to you. I need help. 
I need you to help me with this. I can't do it by myself. I need you. So far, it's been the highest time I've had. It's February 22nd. And the day I cried out to God, I felt an overwhelming peace come over me. And I knew right then that no matter what happened, no matter what consequences I faced, that God had me and he was leading me. And he was right beside me every step of the way. It exceeded my expectations. I found out real, real quick that God had his hands on this ministry, that God had his hands in this church. And it was nothing that I've ever, ever experienced before in my life. And I held onto that. I grasped onto that. And I said, there's something special here. And if this is what it is, God, let me be a part of it. So let's go forward a little bit in, in the introduction of Casey Joe Rivers into my life. I saw Josh at a gala, and he was standing up there, and he was just kind of telling his story, um, and he had Zaylee up there with him, and I thought, that is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh, that's precious. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Pastor picks me up one day. I'm Pastor Josh, and he... he takes me over to the house and he looks at me and says, so what do you think about Casey? <laughs> Must have been my primary house. <laughs> what do you mean about Casey? He said, do you like Casey? I said, well, yeah, I could like Casey. He said, that's good. I think you two would make a great couple. <laughs> I said, okay, this is a trap. This is a setup. Me and Josh both pretty much knew um, that God lined us up for us. It's something that God has arranged and it's something beautiful, and it's something that I've never known. So I can't say enough about Casey. I love me some Casey. Totally love her. I needed that um, that Christ-filled um, relationship, and that's exactly what we have. Ultimately, the Hope Center has taught me um, how to love, and how to love myself, and how to be confident. Knowing that my mom can trust me again means everything to me to have that relationship back with her. I told her, I said, I know that I've spent many years making your life hell, but I'll spend the rest of my life making it up to you if I have to. Because she loves me unconditionally. And she's the best mother I could ever ask for. Just a short four years ago, if you would have told me this is what my life was going to be, I would have said there's no way. And the void um, that I had for so many years is filled now. Hoping that that somebody out there will realize that they are not too far gone, that they can't come back. I want people to know that are miserable and on this road to destruction that there's a better life. everything out for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose Romans 8 28 that's my favorite verse and he's he's done that for me he's worked every single thing out in my life for good I want to go back to something just yeah you can applaud that's great <clears throat> I just want to read you something out of 
out of Romans 8, and this is not the way I was going to close this, but Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hoped that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And not only so, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And I wanted to read that because that's not just some theological idea. That's, that's the way life is lived out. That our creation, us, humanity, are subject to bondage and sub- subject to sin. And we groan inwardly awaiting for the final adoption and for the final redemption and for hope to finally come to fruition. And um, that's what Advent is about. And that's the first, the, the first theme of Advent, the first Sunday is about hope. And you just saw a story of hope, and I was just thinking, I was reading that as I was watching that story. It's probably the third or fourth time I've watched the story, and thinking, that's the scriptures being lived out. That's not, that's not just some theological idea that Paul has, but you could feel the weight of the bondage and the weight of the decay and the weight of the frustration and the sufferings. But there's hope, and, and we wait patiently and expectantly for the hope. We wait for God to work the good. We wait for that. Um, the, the most powerful part and humbling part of this entire process we've gone through of kind of introducing, and by the way, we're going to build one of those in Columbia. Um, that's the whole, the whole thing we're talking about right now is we want to we establish a Hope Center in Columbia. And, and Josh was the guy who first met with us that toured us through Hornwall. And he's now the director of the Hope Center in Dixon. And so uh, we're, we're casting vision and, and asking for funds to help get that off the ground. But the humbling part of this to me has been the people who have reached out that I didn't know in this church who said, I don't know if you know, and they usually follow with some story about a family member. Um, but people outside of this church, like one of my teachers reached out and said, I don't know if you know about what's going on with our son. I want to talk to you about that. And we got together and talked about that. And a guy who grew up here, like, I don't know if you know, I graduated from there four and a half years ago and been sober for four and a half years. And it ain't perfect, you know, if, if any of those type things. It's messy and, you know, there's things that aren't perfect, but it got me back on the right path. And I was just, it, just seeing those stories gives me hope that uh, no matter what we're going through, that God can work something through that. And God can work something good uh, through that. So... Um, I was supposed to do a whole spill about uh, how to fund it, but I'm just going to mention that we're going to fund it on December 18th. So um, that's the plan, December 18th. And I want you to be thinking and praying about what you can do uh, on that Sunday. We need to raise $200,000 on that Sunday in order to get this off the ground in 2023. So be thinking and praying about that. Other thing I will mention, can you go, uh, Andy, I know I, I did everything. I wasn't where you were. I'd change the whole end of that sermon. Nope, skip that. Uh, go to the uh, giving slide. 
Because we do need to have a regular contribution right now, and you'll do that as you leave today. If you're giving physical checks or cash, you can drop it in the boxes as you leave. Uh, if you're giving electronically, all the information on the screen. We'll just leave that up on the screen as you're, giving, as you're leaving today so you can give. Uh, don't forget about the shoe collection. It is in the front lobby. We're hoping to, to collect about 514 shoes. We feel like that's a good goal. So we're looking at, for shoes, and there's, there's little slips of paper, and you just pick up a slip of paper for how many pairs of shoes you want to buy. So if you want to buy 10 pairs of shoes, pick up 10 slips of paper. They all got the sizes on them so that we've got enough of the sizes distributed, and please spend within the budget. You're going to want to spend like $100 on these shoes, but don't. We need you to spend whatever the budget says on those shoes because we don't want the kids having all different prices and all that kind of stuff. We don't want any fights breaking out when we dis distribute these shoes. So, um, but we need to get rid of those shoes today, and that's in the front lobby, and you can, you can do that as you leave today. Next Sunday, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9, um, 9 through 11 next Sunday. It's a lot, but don't worry. Uh, I've, I've got a plan for it. And then uh, I'll, I'll talk about the pyramid next Sunday, too. I'll, I'll get back to that. So um, I hope you have a great rest of the day, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday, second Sunday of Advent next Sunday. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.